Hey, what's up? Rich Ryan here, Reinforced Running Podcast. Today we have Dave Robinson. Dave is an athlete, coach, and entrepreneur. He is the owner of Work Your Story. So in this episode, we talk a lot about words and how words affect your performance, both on the course and in regular life and how they're kind of intertwined. So we do a lot of talking about the physical stuff here and how that can make you a better athlete but really the mental side of things and the language that you're using to yourself and how that affects your whole world is really important to what kind of outcomes you're going to get on the course. So Dave is an absolute expert in this field. It was fantastic talking to him. Amazing conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it very, very much. So let's get into it. Dave Robbins. All right, Dave, thanks for joining me today. Last time, well, actually the first time that I came across you was through a different podcast and you had some crazy streak going on at that time. You still streaking? I'm close. Yeah, I'm still streaking. I'm still streaking. Really? Uh, six plus years. A six workout every years. day. Uh, so the workout, workout would be a strong uh, term for, I'm a word guy. All right. I'm a language guy. Uh, <laughs> my definition is... Uh, I, I, all right. So I'll back up. I started trying to work out every day, the 28th year of my life. Right. I, I got like 30 days in or something like that. And I was like, okay, I need to change the definition of workout or exercise to something else that was more sustainable from a health and recovery perspective while still doing the main objective, which was moving my body every single day, right. Or getting better physically every single day. So my working definition is uh, every day I set aside time to better myself physically. I make a concerted effort to set aside time to better myself physically. So it can't be, you know, I park further away at the mall and like walk, you know, the, the greater distance into the grocery store or whatever. But uh, it can be as simple as doing an intentional walk or doing some mobility or, or movement prep type stuff and call on it if I'm super trash that day. Uh, most days it turns into something more than that, but it is a, a daily thing. So I'm 34. I started that when I was 28, six, six and a half years in. Now, this is something that from my experience with just working with people and just some people that I've come across that it can kind of be a little compulsive, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it turns into something that might not be bettering their health, that it's more for this irrational mental health side of things. How do you kind of stop that from blurring into your world or has it been just easy enough to be like, Hey, if I just feel like it's bettering myself, we're good to go. Well, what's really interesting is, is I view fitness as the gateway drug to personal development. Mm. Right. And a lot of people, um, you know, I mean, for me, that was the first time I saw that if I worked hard at something or applied myself that I could get better, I could see a change. Right? And that change felt good. It gave me confidence. It gave me um, you know, energy to, okay, well, what if I do this with school or work or whatever it is, right? So the, I think if we look at fitness as a means of personal development, or at least a start to personal development, maybe it's nutrition, or maybe it's something along those lines, right? Uh, the trap that that can lead a lot of people to fall into is eventually, most likely, unknowingly using fitness as therapy, mm. right? And I, that's what I did again, personal story, right? Going through a tough relationship and, you know, leaving a, a seven year career or, you know, wh whatever it is at the time, like, yeah, I'd love to do this too. And 
something, you know, got in a bad fight with a girlfriend. Cool. I'll go bang the trail for an hour. You know, uh, it's a way to feel better. It's a way to distract and disassociate. Right. It wasn't always that sometimes that was my choice or a good thing or, you know, very uplifting, but a lot of times it wasn't. Now, did that help to get me through it? Yeah. Are there other ways to deal with stuff? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, now to kind of loop it back around, I, over the past three, four years specifically, I've done a lot more of that interpersonal work, uh, a lot more of that, I would say the deeper work and have gotten to understand my relationship with fitness and, and a lot of those motivations. And it's gotten a lot better and easier for me to work through those times and realize when I might be doing something for the wrong reasons. That makes sense. It, it does. And this is something that I think about when I'm talking with athletes, injured athletes in particular, mm -hmm. right? When, when they do get injured and, and like their therapy, like you had mentioned, is then taken away from them. And, they're, and it's hard to really process their emotions because they don't have this outlet. And I always kind of like, I, I kind of make mentions like, well, one day there's going to be like, hopefully not in the near future, but there's going to be a time where physically we're not going to be able to express ourselves to, to create that, um, that clarity. So this might be a good lead into, to like the words part, right? Because then when we're just left with our words and our thoughts, it's, it's how we're going to have to kind of understand what we're thinking and feeling and like, I guess, how have you been able to kind of separate the physical therapy from just like actually understanding what you're thinking and dealing with those thoughts and feelings once you don't have, once it's not through physical exertion? Yeah. What a great question, man. Um, well, you and I started working together briefly because I had an injury in early right. 2019, right? Yeah. Or March of 2019, right? I, I hired you to, to help me become a better hybrid athlete and OCR athlete. And, uh, I ended up through my fault completely, uh, having a pretty severe spinal injury, uh, take out the pretty, uh, soft talk. I had a severe <laughs> spinal injury that put me out for a good six months, you know, and, and I tried to, to push it coming back and, and had a setback. And, and that was a real, uh, gut check moment for me where I realized that I had to let go or I chose to let go of the identity of being a strength athlete hmm. in order to better my actual health. Right. So I think it's an important distinction here. And, and I really want to make sure that, that I separate these three terms, health, fitness, and wellness are three different things. Okay. Health, hmm. fitness, and wellness are three different things, right? Um, health, you know, we can look at blood work and, <laughs> figure out whether somebody's healthy or not. Right. But it takes time if you're unhealthy to change that. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, fit, same thing with fitness, right. You can get off the couch and get healthy. Like so many people have done it. You help people do that. Right. You help people get fitter. Mm -hmm. uh, we can put someone on a treadmill at 15% incline for 15 minutes and see how fit you are. Right. <laughs> right? Or put you in an air dot and see how fit you are. It's, it's measurable. Same with health. Mm -hmm. uh, wellness isn't wellness is head, heart. How do you feel? Right. And that wellness can change in an instant. And it is uh, totally up to the individual. It can't be measured. But if we look at using movement and physical exertion and a ton of other tools as tools for wellness, it changes the conversation. It changes mm -hmm. the out the output and it changes the outcome. 
right? Now, if fitness is the goal, the main and only goal, okay, now, great, your fitness outlet or your physical outlet is going to be geared towards fitness, and a lot of other habits are going to be geared towards fitness. you still got to deal with the head and the heart stuff, right? And that's what this process of story work, the words, uh, that's what this does. So it deals with head and heart. The, the distinction between fitness and wellness is important because I think a lot of times, especially us in this endurance world, we tow that line between what is – uh, for fitness and what it could be well, even like health a lot of times, because it's taken so far to the extreme for the, for the outcome that we're looking for. So yeah, I like the, I'm, I'm really happy that you brought that up and you made those distinctions because fitness, it, it can lead to the wellness piece, right? Mm-hmm. And it, leads it can also to the lead health to health piece exactly. as well, but it can, it's, it's can separate at a certain point also. So let's get into that, that the, the story work type of conversation then, because it seems like this is more geared toward the wellness aspect of those. Do you have like three, three pillars? This is the wellness pillar. I I, I would say so. Yeah. I would say this is definitely a a, a wellness pillar, but you know, it's mental health and health is in that definition as well, you know? And, and uh, so if, if our mental health is better, our health is Mm -hmm. better. Uh, A lot of physical ailments are mind and, body manifestations you know we're stressed out we're talking ourselves or breathing ourselves into sympathetic nervous system response states Mm. you know i I could sit here and say and repeat i hate myself i hate myself i hate myself and (sighs) breathe like that Uh, i'm gonna get stressed out i'm gonna have (laughs) it's not gonna feel good yeah i i I went because i puckered as i'm like giving this example i'm tightening up i'm i'm you know my chest is caving in i feel uh, that rise of, of tension up into my throat, right? I start to sweat a little bit, right? That that's that's a sympathetic nervous system response state. That fear, you know, the um, fight, freeze, or or uh, flee, right? Um, what drives that state? Exercise can drive that state. Uh, lack of sleep can drive that state. But getting cut off on the interstate can drive that state. Mm-hmm something your mom said or your sister said that really annoyed you can put you in that state. Uh, you might be just stuck. Like, should I stay or should I go relationship wise? Should I stay or should I go uh, career wise? Not really just not happy. Just, you know, uh, you might have things that have been hurtful in the past or potentially haunting in the past. You know, the really terrible things that can happen to people. Uh, we might think of those things. And if I think about that, my initial reaction is probably going to be that similar type process. And a lot of times we do our best to just push it down, disassociate or, or distract or just move on with our lives. Uh, what this work can do is to go into those various pieces and into the various things we've experienced or are experiencing or are thinking or are saying to ourselves about ourselves or about our situation and move a lot of that emotion, move a lot of that, uh, uh, a lot of those negative energies or energies in general and, and change the story. You know, and if you change your story, you can change your reality. So yes. And just kind of, it sounds like what you're talking about a lot is just identifying how we're feeling. And, and I guess is wor- is when you say words and telling stories, is that just kind of a cover all like a catch all for, like understanding, like the words that we use inside of our head or the words that we're expressing through some like a written language or spoken language. Are you, are are you encapsulating all this as one? 
So uh, the words that we, so when we're talking about words, we're talking about internal and external dialogue, right? And so we can go one or two seconds, three seconds without thinking. If you're the greatest meditation guru of all time, maybe you can go 10 minutes without having conscious thought, right? But we're thinking constantly. Right. We're obviously talking a lot, right? So words are internal, external dialogue. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I have, you know, uh, been very unkind to myself internally a lot. And a lot of people are way more unkind to themselves internally than they would ever be to somebody else. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't say the stuff you say to your best friend that you say to yourself when you mess up or when you have a bad workout or when things don't go the way that you had planned or hoped or thought or something happens, you know? And so those, those are words, words plus breath build stories. You know, uh, when I say breath, I mean, just our breathing patterns again, <laughs> versus, You know, it's going to be a totally different state. It's going to be a totally different conversation if we're approaching whatever is going on from a down-regulated environment. And that's what words and breath can can do. If you're using conflict language, if you're using words that create conflict uh, or keep us trapped in the victim mentality or create imposter syndrome or, you know, maybe we're just being bullies to ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, those words are going to be more stressing, more fight or flight inducing versus using building, architecting, direct, intentional words that help, you know, and phrases and stories and things that help to build us up. So it, it's, it's not storytelling, you know, we're not telling parables or anything, um, you know, nor is it simply like rah-rah affirmations either. You know, it's, it's actually looking at language patterns. You know, what language patterns is an individual using and are they helping or hurting? Hmm. So I kind of went through this a process. I'm, I want to get into what your process is, uh, but I just want to share this kind of a story. I, I was with some kind of what I thought was business coaching for for it was a like six month <clears throat> deal that I was with, but it turned out it was it was pretty much just like figuring out what was some sort of barrier in the language that I was telling myself, and I was able to kind of uncover that because of something that happened to me like in first to third grade, I then had this thought in my head that I wasn't smart. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would use that type of language a lot. I, but I wouldn't like say like, wouldn't call myself dumb, maybe sometimes, but it would a lot of times be like, you're not smart. Right. And like being able to kind of identify that this is what was happening. And then just being able to kind of like move into a different room is what they call it. Like yeah. that room that was kind of that I was trapped in and into like this new space. It was, so helpful. I, I see it in your, like your expression right now. I see it in in your face and your smile. Like it, I could just tell that that was so freeing for you. It really was. And it was That's rad. only words, nothing happened. Yeah. Right. It was just kind of brought through and I was doing this visualization technique and then it kind of dawned on me. And then I shared what I had, what I had seen and what I had felt. And it really just like, I have almost like a breakdown and then I haven't really like they, of course they arise, something silly happens, but like I'm, almost freed of yeah. this kind of trap that I put myself in. So like, is, is your process similar to that? Like, what do we, what's the process like that you're, that you're helping people do around the, what they're like the words that they're talking. And you've already used a couple of examples of like soft language and like the negative mm -hmm. type language. And, and how are you helping people um, use words to better themselves? 
Totally. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for sharing what you did. That is super cool to, to hear a story be realized and then really let go of, you know, that didn't serve you anymore. The, uh, I messed up my kindergarten or first grade spelling bee as well. It was super funny. <laughs> I, I, I don't know whether you're spelling bee. I don't know why I said as well, but uh, I was in first grade and you know, I made it two or three rounds in. My mom's in like the first row, like <laughs> right in front, dude, like right there. And I walk up there and the word was tool. And I, and I knew this word for sure, 100% knew exactly how to spell it. T-O-O-T, tool. That's not right. And I was so embarrassed because I was like, no, T-O-O-L, you know, and got shut down. Right. Uh, I don't know whether I made a story about that or not. Maybe I have. But um, my process is is a, a little bit similar. Uh, it's also has its it has its differences and, and it's really uh, it's simple. Right? It's not rocket science. So the process, I believe that if we can get a story titled and written down, then we can do this process. We can work it. Right. Um, so what do I mean by titled? I mean, well, the title top of the steps might not mean anything to you. I know exactly what that means, right? I can say top of the steps and put myself back in a spot in time. And I have a story associated with top of the steps. Mm -hmm. And I get a story associated with, you know, entering my back, right? I know what that title means. I know the emotion that comes with that. I know I can uh, conversationally share what that is, right? So, if someone is experiencing one of those areas of annoyed, stuck, hurt, or haunted, uh, someone has something that they, you know, just know is bothering them and don't identify it or categorize it or whatever, but you title it, make something up and you write it down on paper or on what I use is a shared Google doc with my clients, mm -hmm. right? So both of us can see us typing at the exact same time, right? We're on zoom. We got a Google doc in front and first step, Title it, write it down. Cool. That alone can help so much, right? If we just stopped there and walked away and said, all right, Rich, this is, this is great, man. You know, that alone would help so many people. It, I work with a lot of clients. Uh, part of my practice is, is in the addiction recovery community. Mm -hmm. So I work with folks who are in, uh, it's a organization here in Richmond, Virginia, my hometown. They've got four homes, two men's, two women's houses. And I work with a lot of people just out of bond, just out of jail. Some people sign up and want to be there. A lot of them don't, right? Uh, I tell everybody I work with out the gate, if you get something written down, if we get anything written down in our session, it's a huge win, right? Because what does that do? It gets it out of our head, right? Something we've been thinking about. Um, you know, what's my, my nearest book is Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. This is really excellent if you haven't read it or listeners. Uh, and I'm going to take this book and I'm going to smash it up against my face. You know, if you're watching this, you can see it. Uh, <laughs> I can't read this book right now. Like, it, you know, it's right up against my face. I can't read anything. But if I actually take it away from me and I give it a little perspective, right, and I hold it at arm's length and I can, oh, wow, these are words. Like, I can make sense of this. And so that first step of getting stuff out of our head, quieting that mind static, you know, or that mind trash or whatever it may be, or just expressing what you experience for the first time, mm -hmm. maybe, right? Putting it on paper, putting it on the computer. Step one, cool. Step two, super simple, read it out loud. How, how you normally would, right? Most people are gonna read it 
like this. And this is uh, page 185 of the hero's journey. Uh, when you have seen the radiance of eternity through all forms of time, and it's a function of art to make it feel visible to you, then you really uh, like they're going to fly through it, right? It's painful. It's it's something that they, you know, don't really want to necessarily work on, or it's something they do want to work on, but it, there's still a lot of emotion tied to it. So they're going to fly through that first read most of the time, mm -hmm. right? And and what does that what's that mean? That's upregulated state. That's a stress state, right? Cool. Check in, see how you're feeling. What do you feel? Uh, are there any emotions going on? Can you describe any of these things? What do you feel in your body, right, et cetera? You just get some feedback, type some stuff out, see, check in, right? We're checking in throughout this whole process. Um, step, you know, so first step, write it down, title it out. Second step, read it out loud. Third step, read it out loud, this time at about 60% speed. So. Oh. What you're, yeah, so what you're going to end up doing is, you know, it's not robotic by any means, but you definitely slow it down. And when you slow things down, you start to downshift, start to see those spots that you skipped over and sped through earlier. And different places might hop, might, uh, different emotions might start being highlighted. Different sticky spots might start being, you know, uh, highlighted or coming up. But you're also in a process of downregulation. You're also in a process of familiarizing yourself to your to this thing because you've already written it down. You've already read it out loud. Now you're reading it aloud again. So you're going through reps of familiarizing yourself with the story. And each time is typically a step down, though sometimes they step up. It's not all every time is the same. Um, so can we pop uh, in? Yeah, hop in real fast because the writing it's one part, right? It, it, that, that's a little therapeutic and just being like, okay, it's, it, I don't have, I'm not holding this burden anymore. It's on this, it's on this paper. It's on mm -hmm. this word document. The reading part, that problem, I would imagine that that is emotionally like like a very vulnerable place to be. Totally, right? like being totally. To, and like the the fast part, I could see that's like or just like you know, how you like speed read through something, just visualize, just whatever, but then reading it and being like hearing what you think or what you mm -hmm. had thought that has to be a challenge. Is it, is it a challenge a lot of times for people to really let that sink in? Or is it as simple as once it's spoken out loud and you can hear your thoughts that way, does it like really help someone understand what they're feeling almost like instantly? Uh, I think it's the latter. Some people, a lot of, uh, it's not instant, right. For, for everybody. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't right. But, uh, slowing it down, reading it out, out loud, it, it allows people to feel the things that they've just been ignoring or distracting or just not, not even thinking about maybe different memories pop up, maybe different emotions pop up. Right. It, it, it can be really hard and, Ideally, you know, we've set a really nice set and setting and container for us to do this work together. You know, now this could be something that somebody can do tonight, you know, listening to this episode. Awesome. You're going to take your journal. You're going to be in your room. You're going to write it down. You're going to read it out loud. You're going to slow it down. Right? You can do it by yourself. And, you know, the, the sets and settings that we create with uh, working with a coach, you know, you're a coach. People hire you because they know, like, and trust you. And they know you're going to get them the result. Or they believe you're going to get them the result. Those are the four things. So uh, if that has already been established, then yeah, sometimes it can be embarrassing. Sometimes it can hurt. Sometimes you know, people don't want to talk about shit that they've experienced and been through, mm -hmm. especially when we get into the 
really gnarly stuff, which happens way more than people might think. Um, but we do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you paid me. And that's why you're here. And one of my main promises I make every single one of my clients at the very beginning is I'm always going to shoot you straight and no, ain't nobody ever going to hear about it, period. I stole that from a buddy of mine and I love it. So, <laughs> but that's what I say to everybody and, and it's real. <clears throat> And that makes sense, right? Like when you start to talk it, it starts to become a little bit more real. So I really like this process so far of like taking it and systematically taking it from just your thoughts to paper, then speaking it. So after step three, is there a step four then? Like where, there's a step we, four. Yeah, at? there's a step four. That's a final, final official step. Uh, the, the great thing about this is everybody, you know, you, you, follow the pattern and then everybody has their own flair to whatever is going on. You have your own process, right? So step four, uh, we insert strategic breaths into the read. So we're going to read it out loud a third time. Uh, at this point, we've downshifted a lot. Most likely, most likely sometimes, hopefully sometimes we've ramped right up <laughs> right? and it's gone completely the other way. Right. And here's, where we're going to bring in a little bit of science that helps us out. Right. Uh, at every comma and period in this story that has been written out conversationally. So there's going to be commas, there's going to be periods, right? Every one of those, and sometimes if we're using run-on sentences, you swap an and for a breath, right? You're going to add a, a big, deep breath. You're going to breathe in a specific way. It's volume in, length out. Hmm. And when our exhales are longer than our inhales, very quickly, we pull ourselves into that parasympathetic. Hmm. Think about box breathing. Think about any kind of downshifting you're, you're doing, you know, uh, when you've crested the hill and now you're getting your gears back. You know, think about uh, XPT, you know, power, speed, endurance, gear, breath work, like all this stuff, right? What we're doing is we're downshifting using breath. And we're doing, again, we're reading this thing that we've experienced, this thing that happened to us, or, you know, that we've been through or are thinking and now we're relating to it from a place where scientifically we're gonna be parasympathetic at the end of this thing. You can't give me 40 in a row and not be downshifted. It's just the way that it is. And by the end of this story, the individual's perspective is gonna change in some capacity just hmm. because now they're looking at this thing and they are so down-regulated from that breathing pattern that now they're actually able to see it for what it was, see that 10,000 foot, 30,000 foot view. They're able to remove themselves from the story, right? They're able to actually feel what's happening. They're actually able to process those emotions, store those memories and rest and regenerate, right? You can't heal in any way, shape or form if you're stuck in that stress state. So what would be in that stress state, in that in that sympathetic state, if it's wound up and, and the breathing is still short and shallow, like what happens to the story that people have written down? Like like you mentioned, when it come when you're in that parasympathetic and you're relaxed, you can kind of see what it is. If you're like upregulated, is it are you just making excuses or, or or not excuses, I guess, or just kind of justifying the things you so like what happens when you're in that up state? So cool, great question. Um that upregulated state is something that we're all familiar with. You know, it's, it's stress, anxiety, 
right? Uh, in some capacity, not saying I'm not diagnosing anybody, right? That's not my job, right? But uh, that upregulated state, upregulated state looks like overall just physical and emotional angst. You know, mm. it's a, ugh, it's puckered, it's tight, it's oh god, like weight of the world type stuff, right? Uh, maybe it's crying, maybe there's just deep sadness, maybe it's a pit in the stomach. Uh, and this is where it's really cool to kind of have my clients describe the feelings that they're actually physically feeling and put, put, uh, you know, descriptions on it. So is it a massive, dark, empty ball of, you know, whatever that is on top of you, or is it, you know, like, like what actually is, is this thing? Uh, what does it feel like? And to see that shift and to be able to put a description of that over time can, can be really valuable. Uh, when you talk about the language patterns, like are, are people just talk to themselves into this, this, this state or, or whatever, that's the unofficial fifth step, you know? So once we've gotten all the way through this, we can actually go in there and start to change the words. Mm. Right. And, and that's when we're talking about things like projections, right. Uh, when we're talking about uh, negations, putting emphasis on things we actually don't want, you know, I, I uh, it's raining outside. I don't want to get wet. What I'm really trying to say is I want to stay dry. <laughs> right? You know, so uh, the English language in particular has a ton of those ticks. It's like we, we tell mm. people what we don't want to do. And so we're thinking about what we don't want to do. Our reticular activation or our reticular activating system is turned on to what we don't want to do. And now everything is focused on the crap mess that we're in versus hmm. yeah, shifting that story, shifting what words we're using, what we're focusing on. So, Let's let's use uh, an athlete as an example. Like we talked about like, a lot of people listening here, either athletes or coaches, to to some respect. Uh, so, how what would be an example of like a story or one of those negative like wor- word type associations that people would use that you would instantly pick out, or something that would be common for someone who might want to improve their performance? Like if you were working with someone on their story, totally. So. Uh... We can even go as simple as just focus on the words before we even get to a story, right? So sure. let's say you're in the gym. Let's say you're on the third set of uh, back squat, right? Uh, your goal was to hit 10. If you feel good, you'll keep going. It's the last set, right? It's heavy. You got your spotter there, your work- workout partner there. Uh, you're on six and it's starting to like be tough. You know you got it in you. You know it was planned. You know you could do it, but it's really starting to get tough, and you're doubting yourself, right? And your workout partner says, don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. The word that I see when that happens is I see a big freaking stop sign, Mm. (laughs) and I see the word stop, right? Maybe you get to 10. You're most likely not going to hit 11, 12, 13, whatever it may be, right? Versus Mm. a simple just kind of – swap of that might be keep going mm-hmm. and again this is like very basic level stuff with this mm-hmm. example but keep going keep going keep going keep going right that may incur that may elicit a different visualization a different feeling a different thing might give you a different result you know mm-hmm. so uh, affirmations mantras intentions these are really good examples of positive architect language you know uh, if you're on a run my legs are strong my heart is strong my lungs are strong i'm enduring you know and just repeat that, especially if it, when it gets tough, like that's, that could be great. Right. Um, I said this, I think we were off air when I said this, uh, most people don't compartmentalize things. Well, mm-hmm. most of the time 
if we're dealing with something at home, you can do your best to switch it off when you get in the office or when you get on that client call or when you show up on the work site. Most of the time that doesn't work out very well, right? Uh, only the, it's, it's it, let me say it this way. It is definitely a skill to be able to switch things on and off. Okay. A lot of times home bleeds into work, work bleeds into home. Uh, people are stressed. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world, right? There's a lot of uh, uh, overall life things that can occur that maybe you're at the start line and that thing with your girl isn't resolved yet and it pops up. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're, you've dialed in enough to your competitor state in your competition that you can just totally zone that out and rock and roll. A lot of people can't do that. <laughs> so dealing with the other stuff as an athlete, right? Dealing with the stuff that if I said, hey, what were the top three things that bother you on a daily basis? And you would be able to go, oh, well, one, two, and you might have to search for three, but you can get it. Cool. That might clear some space and provide a lot of clarity for you to be able to do the other things in your life with a little bit less weight on your shoulders. You know, so from an athlete perspective, that's how I like to work with my athletes is Let's clear out some other stuff, some work stuff, some home stuff, some past stuff, you know, from when you were 12 or eight or, you know, 22 and, uh, you know, had a death in the family, you lose a mom, lose a, uh, a sibling or something like, man, let's get through that grief. Let's work through some of those things, whatever it is. There's a billion different things that could happen that people could experience some ugh, from or more. And I'll be. Yeah, shifting that can help. Yeah. And people have a hard time understanding when they are compartmentalizing or not. How would you recommend that someone would discover these things? Like, you, you know what I mean? Cause, because if they're hard, if you're bad at compartmentalizing, you probably don't know things are bleeding in. Mm -hmm. Is there some sort of practice that you would recommend to help people clear that stuff out? So when they are at trying to perform at their highest level in an OCR event, they have that space totally the way i like to start is um writing out having my clients write out on your bad day on a bad day how are you shit talking yourself hmm. you know what are you saying to yourself type that out you know we we call that the billy the bully story or the barbara the bully story sorry to all the Barbers and Williams out there, <laughs> you know, uh, just have, I love alliteration. So what can you do? Um, what, what that ends up being is, is, you know, again, oftentimes the things that, that we don't like come to the surface and bubble up. Right. Uh, that's a good place to start, right? That when you are down on yourself, when it's really, really hard, when you're in the muck, when that race hits and, and, you know, you're climbing crest in the hill, you're halfway up the climb. You're like, Oh my God, you know, what am I even doing? Like, you know, you miss a spear throw. You're like, fucking idiot how can yeah. you do that you know like <laughs> god right and and don't necessarily relate that to the endurance event you know relate it to your job or your your you know relationships or you know whatever like write down what your inner dialogue right when when you do happen to talk down yourself because uh, everybody does everybody does that's a great place to start and that's a great place to whoa, oh my God, I'm actually saying that to myself, <laughs> right? Um, I, I didn't know I, like, I had a, 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 I had a lot of evidence as to why I should hate myself. Let me put it to you that way. Seven, eight years ago, 
six years ago when I started to, to get into this personal development thing. And I wasn't going around saying, I hate myself. I hate myself. I hate myself. But right. you know, I didn't, I didn't say I love myself and feel great about it. You know, I sure as hell didn't mean it, you know? Uh, but when I started to say that and repeat that over and over and over and over and over again, it became an anchor that I could fall back on. It became something that shifted my world. Right. Anytime I noticed myself shit talking myself or talking, you know, uh, uh, being negative or projecting or, you know, it was in a bad mood, had a song stuck in my head, whatever it may be. I go back to I love myself, I love myself, I love myself, I love myself. And our, our, that's a different vibration. That's a different feel. That's a different outcome in the very short term, let alone the long term of putting some of that programming into the hardware that is our mind and body. Right. So I guess is our body rather. Um, so yeah, say that in our sport, right. Where it's uh, a lot of times it's like people are trying to see what they're fully capable of in mm-hmm. terms of their athletics. Right. And, and I'm sure a lot of words that kind of go through the head, it's like, Oh, I'm not dedicated enough. I'm not tough enough. Maybe I'm not talented enough. Mm-hmm. Would you still just have that anchor comment, whatever that is, whenever these these like negative words pop up, or the or when you are start do start shit talking yourself, that you have something like a mantra or something like that, or does it kind of do you need to do the work first to be able to say I love myself before you can just like yeah, and in, in my opinion, the best affirmations, intentions, mantras come from a prior limiting belief, right? So for you. Uh, you know, you had shared, you had a story that, you know, hey, I used to believe that I was stupid, right? Or dumb or not smart, right? So your affirmation of I am smart and capable or I am, you know, like whatever that version of that is for you, that means a lot more to you than it would a lot of other people because you know exactly where that came from and you know the pain that that you had lived with from, you know, first grade to however long, unconsciously, subconsciously, or consciously of running that story in your head of, oh, well, the, the reason why X, Y, Z is, you know, because I'm not smart, hmm. right? And so shifting that story, I am smart, and going back and looking at all the evidence that shows you why you are smart versus why you aren't smart, right? Uh, hey, I did graduate high school. Hey, I did like do X, Y, Z. Like, yeah, I did. I got an A on that paper. You know, like all the times that you made that smart decision versus the dumb one, et cetera, et cetera. And now you start to build a portfolio of examples of, oh, wow, I am smart. And you can run that story, right? And so identifying that that's even a story, sure, that could be super duper helpful, right? Um, But it it doesn't necessarily need to start with that. Uh, It can start with that, like getting in there and clearing that space first. I like doing that because then we can get creative, right? Uh, you know, you, but it, you know, relating it back to sport, um, as an athlete, right? As an athlete, you're going to push yourself. You're most likely going to compare yourself to other athletes in some capacity. You're going to see what they're doing. You're going to see what's working, Mm -hmm. what's not working. You're going to have your, your rivals that are, Spoken or unspoken, maybe you're so dialed in on you, you just want to compete with yourself, right? There's still going to be that imposter syndrome that will come up, comes up with everybody, almost everybody. Oh my gosh, I don't deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, why am I here, right? Et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, first time I qualified for OCR World Championships. I went over in, in London, England. It was 2018. I qualified for age group. I was thrilled. I had set that goal when I was finishing like a thousandth overall in 2015. And it was unrealistic. And it was my biggest goal for like three years was I'm going to qualify for OCR Worlds. And, you know, got went from uh, like a five and a half hour, six hour beast to getting and in, in qualifying and doing it. Right. And then that was, that process proved to me that I could shift that story of, you know, I'm not fat and out of shape. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. All right. I, I can compete on this stage, but when I got there, I still felt like I didn't belong. You know, that was different a couple years later when I had again, taken that next step in my evolution as an individual and as an athlete. Right. Uh, but this last piece I want to highlight is, the victim mentality, the victim mentality, uh, the victim mentality. I'm going to define it for, for you. It, it's an acquired personality trait whereby an individual tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. Hmm. Victim mentality depends on habitual thought process and attributions. So uh, acquired personality trait. Right. means a couple things. One, we're not innately born with the victim mentality. Right. It's something that we learned. And if you can acquire something, you can unacquire that thing. You can let it go. You can sell it. You can get rid of it. You can cut it out. You can whatever. Right. Uh, the other thing that I want to highlight from that definition is it's habitual. So if we could break the habit, break the pattern of the victim mentality, shine a flashlight on the victim mentality, uh, then that does a ton for changing people's stories and for being able to then identify the actual stories that are coming up and that are potentially underneath a lot of these things. So I want to be clear that people can be victimized and are the circumstance or, or are mm. the, you know, uh, uh, receiver of, um, you know, a lot Some of, kind of stuff. Doing. Yeah, wrongdoing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You can be a victim and there's levels to that. Right. And, it is a choice to view certain things and one's existence and reality in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, a lot of times when we project on the others or, uh, there's no way I could do that because of X, Y, Z or, you know, oh, well, I got a full-time job and he doesn't. And yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, if I didn't have that injury, you know, like there's a lot of that, right. There's a lot of that, that, that is victim mentality speaking. And that's something when it's habitual, like mm -hmm. you mentioned, the habits are automatic, mm -hmm. right? So that stuff just comes in and it probably right away starts going to that spot. It runs on autopilot too. Yeah, for sure. Because it's, it's a habit, right? That's just what they think is real or reality. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to break habits, mm -hmm. right? And is there, does this, where did words come in here or the writing process come in here as well? Like, how do you identify something like a habit, right? Cause it's hard to even know, like if you need to want to stop biting your nails, you don't even know you're biting your nails, you know? Totally. Totally. How, totally. how, to, how, to, how to become aware of something like this? Uh, start to notice the language patterns, right? So projections, negations, uh, con, uh, uh, we changed the definition of this projections, negations, um, Drama language used to be mm. called binary language, drama language, right? Uh, so projections are going to be, you know, he, she, they, he's always late. She always makes me feel bad. Uh, you know, they are out to get us, right? You know, whatever it is, like putting the blame, putting the, the, the emphasis on somebody else other than the individual, mm -hmm. not taking responsibility typically, 
right? Those are projections. Negations, anytime you see an N apostrophe T, can't, isn't, won't, shouldn't, not, etc. cetera. Uh, those can identify what we don't want, the things that are wrong, are negative, uh, the views of things that are negative, right? Um, the drama language, always, never, ever, mm. only, any. How? What's the difference between how am I ever going to get over this versus how am I going to get over this? It's a big difference in those two. Yeah, yeah mm. the ever. Just the word and how am I ever going to get over this? Seems just, permanent. Yeah. Seems permanent, right? Um, when we start to identify those we can really start to hone in on, on the actual intention behind speaking, right? We can speak with more clarity, with more intention. We can use less soft talk. I've got a soft talk keyboard here. I'm trying to <laughs> key this up. So sort of probably feels like guess, maybe, might, could, try. I think one day I might possibly try to go to the gym. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and this, that type of language, the soft talk language, that's almost, that's the worst. Like, dude. That's like building in a kind of like a buffer for what you're, what you're trying to say. You're not like taking mm -hmm. a stance, like setting a goal. It's like, I might, I might try to qualify for OCR world championships. It's like, well, you might also not try. <laughs> right. It, it, it is a big difference. Uh, it, it, it displays a decision, right? Maybe displays is the right word. It, it denotes a decision. If we remove soft talk, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to the gym next week. In fact, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to the gym next Friday versus I think I might try to possibly potentially go to the gym next Friday. Like mm -hmm. forget that, <laughs> you know, now whether you end up going or not, that's one thing. And it is much more firm. It is much more likely that that thing will occur if we're using solid talk versus soft talk. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the energy is different. Yeah, how how I agree that that would happen, right? Is it just with, but like, why does that happen? Is it just like because you are then kind of making a deal with yourself, and if you're using that soft language, you're kind of like leaving this loophole to not, or why is it so much more definitive to be like, I am going to run Killington Beast. I'm going to get ready for Killington Beast for. I should get ready for killing to these types of things. So I love that you just said that. Uh, and I'm going to highlight, like, our bodies know what words mean. All right. So you remember spelling. Probably took spelling for like 10 years. Yeah. Right. right? And spelling is the formation of individual words. How do you spell rich? R-I-C-H. Right. Awesome. The definition of a spell is a word or collection of words of great influence a word or collection of words of great influence, right? If I say abracadabra, what do you think of? Magic. Every time. Across <laughs> the whole world, everybody says magic every time. Uh, turns out that's an Aramaic phrase, uh, Aramaic word. It's over 5,000 years old. It's one of the two languages Jesus spoke. Uh, it means, with my words, I create. Hmm. With my words, I create. So, with mag magic, magic yeah. right? So when we speak... We are casting spells every time. Huh. <laughs> With my words, I create. I'm form. I'm forming a word or collection of words of great influence. Okay, so our bodies know the difference, regardless. Regardless, 
I know I don't hate myself, but if I spend the next minute saying I hate myself, I'm going to, something physical is going to happen in here, right? I'm going to stress myself out. I, I don't like that, right? So I should, what, what, what do you say? I should qualify for Killington. Uh, I should get, it, I should prepare, or I should prepare for, I forget what I said. Okay. I so, so I should get ready for red killing TVs or whatever. Or I will so prepare. we're going to do a language game. We're going to run a, a should detox. Okay. okay. A should detox. Pick something that is actually real to you. Right. Uh, so for me, this was my real should detox the other day. I noticed that I said to myself, I should drink more water. And I was like, oh, bingo. Right. So for me, my example, I should drink more water. That's what I'm going to use in this example. What's your should? Something uh, you might have shoulded on yourself recently. Like, I, I, I got to move my, I got to move money in my bank accounts. I should change my bank. Cool. I should change my bank. How does that feel to say, Rich? It's not solid. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, it could be now, that could be in uh, two years, you know? Totally. So it doesn't feel definitive. Uh, does it make you all warm and fuzzy? No, it definitely makes you feel worse. It's like, I should do it. I should have already done it. What am I waiting for type of thing? So is there a little bit of pressure, a little bit of like, kind of to it? Yeah, I don't want to, don't want to do it. Okay. Uh, most people don't like it when people tell them what to do. Boss hmm. tells them what to do. Parent tells them what to do. Spouse tells them what to do. Uh, you know, the military or government tells them what to do. Dude, I don't like it when I tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. So should have to, right. Need to, you need to do this. You should do this. You have to do this. It's very pressure language. It makes me go, you know what? Well, I'm not going to do it. Right. <laughs> that's my, that's my initial response at least. And I know a lot of people aren't like that, but it does create a lot of those feelings of, uh, right. And, yeah. and as you said, it's ambiguous. It's like, it's, when is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Et cetera, et cetera. All right. So if we, do you have a, do you have a magic wand nearby? You have a pencil or a pen nearby? A pen. Cool. Take out a pen and, and write down that statement. I should change my bank. Okay. Done. Cool. Cross out the word should and write the word could. Okay. Read that out loud. I could change my bank. What's different? It just leaves it kind of open to actually doing it, I guess. Like it's up to me. Puts the ball on your court, right? Yeah. Does that feel heavier or lighter to say that I should change my bank? (laughs) Yeah, I could do it. Why not? I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> cross yeah. out, cross out could and write can. Okay. I can change my bank. Seems right. I could do that. Totally could. Definitely totally can. can. Yeah. You absolutely can. can. <laughs> cool. Um, there was a book, Robert Cialdini. I think I pronounced his name right. Wrote a book Influ- called- Influence guy. Bingo. So you know this. Uh, he ran an experiment. There's a lot of experiments done in this book. It's a fantastic book. I'm glad mm-hmm. you picked, picked that up. Uh, one of the experiments he did was they. This was like peak copy time, right? Like peak office time, right? And and they had people go from the back of the line to the front of the line and ask the person in the front of the line, "Excuse me, can I cut in front of you to make some copies?" And sixty six percent of the time, two out of every three times, the person said, "Oh yeah, here, go ahead." Cool. Second set of experiments, 
back of the line, front of the line. Uh, excuse me, could I cut in front of you to make some copies because I'm I'm desperately late for this meeting or because my boss really needs it or because the copier was broken and, and I've got to get to Milwaukee to help my mom, right? Like whatever, ton of excuses. The buy-in bumped up to like 96%, right? 96% of you went, oh yeah, of course, yeah. Cut in front, right? Here's the kicker. Uh, when they said, excuse me, can I cut in front of you to make some copies because I need to make some copies? <laughs> they got 94% buy-in. So, <laughs> so here's the deal, man. If you give a reason, if you give a reason, and especially if you make it good and personal, then you are much more likely to do something. So I should drink more water because it's great for my skin. Mm. And that is, I've been getting a little flaky here when I get dehydrated. So I should drink more water because it's great for my skin. That means something to me right now. What is your because? So, so mm. I can change my bank because. Because it would make my life easier. Because it would, it would save Boom. me money and energy. Write that down. Because I need to, because I need to make some cop. That's hilarious. <laughs> I need to change my bank because I need to change my bank. Uh, bingo. So, um, where we are with this is before something that was out in the air, just like felt like nefarious. Even it's just like not fun. Like it's not good. It's not going to happen. Who knows when it's going to happen? It just feels heavy or whatever. Now it turns into you got a damn good reason to do it, mm. and. It's in your court. Totally possible. Totally would like, do people change banks? Is this, can you actually physically change a bank? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Words, man. Even that should to could, that S turned to a, or SH turned to a C. That's it. And there is a different feeling, a different vibe, a different energy, a different story. It went from, I'm probably not going to change my bank, or this is going to be a big pain in the ass to change my bank, to I can't change my bank because it's going to save me money. And make my life way easier. Mm-hmm. So for so, athletes, like I, I should be more consistent with training. Bingo! I could be more consistent with training. I can be more consistent with training. I can be more consistent with training because I care about this, and it means a lot to me, and it will help me further, easier see my reach potential. my goals. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, I want to see my potential. Hundred percent. And then you know the next step would be okay, cool, Rich. When are you going to go to the bank? Do you have time in your schedule tomorrow to go to the bank and change it? Cool. Next week. <laughs> right. But this would be the time when you, when you put a, like pull up your Google calendar and like put in the hour and a half that it's going to take to like go change your bank. Right. Right. This would be when you schedule your workouts and like decide, are you going to buy in or are you not? Are you going to be inconsistent or are you going to start to, you know, take control and be more consistent because you can and it mm-hmm. matters to you, you know, so you can take that and run with it however you want. Yeah, I think that is very powerful, especially like on the, on the athlete side for anything. Like you said, like just doing some. For the record, I've changed the bank. I just got to move the money around now. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I can move the money around. Yes, you can. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Get specific, Rich. Come on, <laughs> make my life better. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, for sure. But for how consistent the the training would be, or whatever the hiccup is, right? And mm-hmm. and like I said, a lot of times it's about finding potential and wanting to see what they're capable of. Right. So the reason it's already built in a thousand percent. And, and think about this, man. Like, uh, I could call my mom, mm. you know, mm-hmm. um, I could read more, you know, uh, 
I could go hang out with my nephew. Right. And now you're starting to get into some real life things that before, like earlier today, I thought, man, I really should call my mom. Mm. And, that, and that didn't make me feel good, nor did I do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Versus I could call my mom. I can't call my mom. Cool. When we're done, I swear to God, I'm going to call my mom. Swear to God. Right. And I wouldn't have, you know, that language shift is the thing that, that can get us there sometimes if we're noticing it. So even if there's just one thing people pick up from this episode, like notice when you start saying the word should or when you should on yourself or when you need your pants. I'm trying to make it graphic so that you remember it. <laughs> Shouldn't yourself and needing your pants. Right. Like if you say if you use that pressure language. What could you do to shift the story that is running or whatever you just said? Does all the does all the soft language kind of feel like? Could you replace all of that with the could? Um, uh, a lot of times with soft talk, we just eliminate it. That's the simplest way to do it. You know, uh, I it feels like I should work out. Well, I use the word should, but I should work out. Mm -hmm. I could work out. I can work out because right. So soft talk, you just eliminate it in the sentence, and soft talk sucks. Just is a soft talk word and I just used it, <laughs> right? It shows up a lot in everybody's language patterns. Um, if I could just do X, Y, Z, mm -hmm. no, if I could do X, Y, Z, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a different vibe. It's a different feeling. Mm -hmm. So with soft talk, we eliminate it with, uh, negations. We flip it from a, you know, just take out the N apostrophe T, you know, I can't do it. I can do it. That's very simple. You know, see if it's accurate. If it's not accurate, cool. Then find the phrase or the word that grammatically makes it accurate or make it real to you, you mm -hmm. know, that particular story. Um, you know, so I don't want to get wet. I do want to get wet. Not accurate. I do <laughs> want to stay dry. Right. That's what I'm really trying to say. Right. So I do want to stay dry and that's not going to matter in my life, whether I say I don't want to get wet or I do want to stay dry, but you know, being able to speak and notice when these things come up, when they do matter is imperative. It's imperative. Uh, projections reflect the they, he, she, them, insert outside force, right? And say I or me. I, the I, that's something, the I statements is something that I've really put into my own personal practice. And that is uh, like a epidemic of people that, won't say I when it's like, it's like, Oh yeah. To get better at running Hills, you just got, you, you just gotta do treadmills. Like, no, I did treadmill Hills. Yes. And that's how I got better at Hills. It's always, yes. it's you and everybody does it. Which is more clear. The I, it makes it, it makes it so concrete. It's like, Oh, that is true. I did this. hundred percent, hundred percent. That last, and that last piece, that drama language, like everybody does it. Right. Everybody does it. Everybody. <laughs> Some people don't do it. It's it's rarely ever accurate, right. right? You can't say it's never accurate, but it's rarely ever accurate. And mm -hmm. and in that context, that didn't that wasn't bad in any way, shape, or form. That like doesn't hurt anybody or any equation, right? Uh, and there are a lot of instances where only any, none, ever. I'm never going to heal my back. My back is always going to be messed up. Right. Ugh. Like, whoa, dude, there's some heaviness to that. There's a lot of heaviness to that. And there's no way it's true. Exactly. You can't prove that. Exactly. I'm in the process of healing my back. One day my back will be healed. 
one day I'll return to normal physical activity. You know, like there's a thousand different things that we can say to say something that's more accurate. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are going around saying stuff that just isn't accurate. You know, it's a story that they're running. My back's always going to be messed up. Yeah, I know that, that that's, that's troubling. Cause when you hear other people use it, it's hard to like, it just feels combative. Then you're like, always, <laughs> right. it's always going to be like that. You don't know. Right. 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 But I, I ran that story, man, you know, and, and, and I was on a mat in gold's gym here around the corner on a red squishy mat. And I, I had the phrase, my back is effed. And I remember the moment when I was like, you know what? No, it's not. It's not effed. Right. You know, one day my back won't be effed. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm getting better. Right. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, I'm rehabbing my back. Cause I was right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm experiencing less pain now than I was six weeks ago. Cause I was, mm-hmm. I'm more mobile now. Cause I was, you know, and there were so many other things I could say other than my back was effed, but I had to decide that I was going to not be the victim anymore. I had to change the story, change the identity and be someone who did something different. Right. If you're going from strictly OCR to now you're doing high rocks, right? Would you say, you know, five years, I guess like high rocks didn't exist. Uh, In the beginning, when you did your first high rocks race, right? And you were an OCR athlete before then, just running Spartans or Tough Mudders or whatever, right? Would you say that you were a high rocks athlete? Like maybe, probably not, right? No, now like you're probably pretty fixed. Take out the probably. I would imagine that you are fixed in the identity of I am a hybrid athlete or I am Mm -hmm. an OCR athlete. I'm a high rocks athlete, right? Totally. So let's say, you know, 10 years goes by and, um, you know, you just happen to fall in love with triathlons. Who'd have thunk it? You're a damn good swimmer, man. And wow, you might've been sleeping on the bike. Bike is such a great you know, oh man, I can ride a bike like crazy. And, and now you start diving in triathlons. And that first triathlon, you're not going to call yourself a triathlete. Maybe you will when you finish it, right? But not at the beginning, right? But six years later or six months later, or however long, however many races later, like, wow, Rich is a triathlete. And you may not any longer identify with being a high rocks athlete or a hybrid athlete or an OCR athlete. And that's okay, right? But this is how the stories can change. Like we're not the same people that we are, you know, six months ago, yesterday when we were 10. <laughs> right. So a lot of that I've had to come, I, when I, uh, twofold for this, when I used to work in like uh, more like the retail space where helping people get footwear. Right. Mm-hmm. And then also now for sure, when, especially in the OCR and hybrid space, people come in, I'm not, I'm not a runner, mm-hmm. I'm not a runner but I want to do this, 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 and this. And so that kind of brings back to the imposter syndrome, which you, which you spoke about briefly, but that's exactly what that kind of connects to. And I've, I, I've talked to a couple of people recently who had brought that up to me. It's like, I just don't feel like I belong here. Um, even though they're like doing all the stuff, <laughs> they're doing the mm-hmm. same thing. Everyone else is putting it all the work, doing great. Mm-hmm. When, how, how is, is that just like a natural occurrence that happens when we do start to shift outside of what we thought our identity was and then or like how does it how do you get past something like an imposter syndrome yeah great question uh you know it shifts for a lot of people in different 
different ways. Sometimes it might be somebody seeing that in you and reflecting that in you and sharing it with you. This is why it's so powerful to build others up, right? Like someone might say, man, you're a great runner. I see you running. You're, you're a runner, right? And that might be everything to somebody. That might be enough for somebody to take on that identity of a runner, right? I know that uh, I've got a client who is a writer. And in third grade, he had a teacher tell him that one of his poems was really good and he could be a writer. And guess what? He took that shit and ran with it. <laughs> right? Great, great. Wow. Yeah. 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 You know, so it could be very impactful, right? Um, imposter syndrome affects almost all of us, right? So I, I am a co-host of a podcast myself. I host the Get Lifted podcast, right? And Lifted is, is the language uh and this is in lifted basically like everything we're talking about comes from uh in lifted right and lifted certifies coaches in this practice and i had the pleasure of interviewing john wolf uh who's the chief fitness officer of on it personal trains joe rogan like hangs out with aubrey marcus and all the rap dudes and, and gals that show up to on it texas and in, in, in austin texas the on it gym rad guy and he shared on our podcasts because uh, we asked him about it that when he gets up there and does his videos, he feels great doing a one-on-one. Anybody can come in and he can train because he's comfortable, because he's done the work, because he's done the reps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that video pops up and now you want me to record? That imposter syndrome starts to kick in. Mm -hmm. That, whoa, how many people are going to be looking at this? <laughs> like, whoa, what if I say something weird? Whoa, what if I mess up my move? Oh my God, my shirt looks weird. Like, I shouldn't be here. I'm not this good, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not, I'm putting words in his mouth right now, that they, but uh, it is, that's imposter syndrome. And he got up there and he faced it anyway and he crushed it and you can't tell, right, at all, rarely can, you know. Uh, is he the one with the, he has a, what's his Instagram handle? Is he, isn't it something swole or something mm, like that? Uh, yeah, that's that's that. different dude. This is, uh, I think he's coach John Wolf. Oh, okay. Like yeah. yeah. Cause let me um, say he does the guy who does the other video primal soldier. Yeah. 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 I was like, Can't tell he's, he's not feeling himself. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. So confidence and cogginess and bravado and et cetera and everything else. Right? right. But, but where does that come from? Like where's Cam Haynes get his bravado, get his cockiness come from or his confidence from, you know, it's banging a marathon a day and shooting his bow and lifting. It's the work. Right. And, you know, we can put in work and be humble about it. Sure as hell. But I know that, you know, the identity I hold of myself as a world-class story work coach didn't just poof out of thin air. Right. It came through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reps and the hundreds of reflections I got back of, Oh my God, this works so well. Like, thank you so much. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in a scenario note where I know that I can, sit down from someone and get uh, uh, something titled and on the page. And I know something great is going to happen and I can hold that identity for myself. Now in the same breath, I, I have created an identity for myself of, uh, or at least a goal identity of I'm a world-class business owner because right now I'm not right. I know that for a fact. Uh, I haven't read enough marketing books. I haven't read enough uh, and implemented the, books I do have, right? And the stuff I do have, or at least some of them. Uh, I know that I'm a lot better business owner than I was five years ago. Mm -hmm. When I first jumped on the entrepreneurial path, that's for darn sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can't say that and feel it, but I can put it out there and work towards it, mm -hmm. right? And that's how you get there. And one day, 
maybe my goals shift. Maybe my desires change. Maybe, you know, maybe I don't get it, right? Maybe I do. <laughs> and then I can say, wow, okay, I've stepped into the identity of being a world-class business owner. Yeah. We can, we define ourselves, y'all. Like, you, no one can tell you who or what you can or can't be. Like, and, and I'm not talking gender identity or anything, but, you know, I am talking, like, what do you want to do with your life? Right? Uh, my story is I suck at math. If you ask me to multiply or divide fractions right now, I would laugh in your face. I have no idea how to do that at all whatsoever. Seriously. Like I would pull out my calculator and I'd do it, but to try to do it on paper, it would take me like hours and hours and hours. And it would probably <laughs> be wrong. I'm serious. I'm and, and if I signed up for the community college and like started showing up and taking classes and I start listening to podcasts on math and, you know, got into it, whether I liked it or not. Right. If I liked it, it would work better. But <laughs> my, my point being, if I put the work into something, I could change the outcome, you know, and that's where that confidence would come from to where maybe I could change that story. Soft talk knowledge of I'm bad at math. If I worked on getting better at math. <laughs> that, right. It's funny you said that I, after I was trying to shake past this when I was working through the not smart thing that the con con Academy does like, has like free things on YouTube and you can do like ninth grade math. I was like, I'm going back and I'm doing it. it Hell yeah. It's still pretty hard. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. It's hard. Yeah. So I was a history and political science major yeah. <laughs> with a big emphasis on Exercise science, but so a former guest that I've had, uh, Tim Silvestri, who's a psychologist and the sports psychologist, he has this this concept where he calls them trust factors, and it sounds like that's kind of what imposter syndrome, like what you need to kind of get past that. You need to see something from yourself so you can trust that you are actually a hybrid athlete, a world class business owner, whether it is just reps or seeing the progress of how poor marketing was five years ago five years ago versus now and how it seems a little bit better and then where it can go. So is that kind of what you're, what you're talking about? Like seeing some sort of evidence to celebrate the wins, bro. Celebrate the wins. Most people don't, you know, all right. So only 3% of people have written goals. I'm trying to find the camera as I'm holding this thing up. 3% of people have written goals. This is from an ongoing study at Harvard, a right? long-term study. Really? Right? Yes. 3% of people. Right. I imagine Fewer than that, write down their fears, right? Mm -hmm. I also imagine most people don't write down the perfect day in a year, one year from now, or five years from now, or 10 years from now, right? Uh, you can future project that. You can kind of design that stuff. You can get that down on paper and work towards those things and be very intentional with those types of words as well, and those types of language patterns as well. Hmm. All comes back to words, writing them out. I mean, you know, it's it's at least analyzing it and identifying it, mm -hmm. you know, um, and and being able to and willing and open to shift and change, you know, um, victim mentality, imposter syndrome, all that stuff. We all experience it in certain points in our lives and certain times, right? You know, you said something about. And kind of in the very beginning, like how one day we won't be able to express ourselves physically. One day mm -hmm. the day will come. You know, my story is that day is going to come at like 104 or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Right. And I might get hit by a bus tomorrow. I don't know. I hope not. Right. And okay. If I believe that story and I want to run that story and I want to, and that story means a lot to me because it does, my health means a lot to me, you know, and, and, 
because I've been on the floor with the back injury and not been able to do the things I want to do. So, okay, how does that change how I operate? How does that change what I do or say about myself? You know, um, it's an emphasis on, on these things can really start to even just subtle shifts. It doesn't even have to be an emphasis yet. You can just have a subtle shift of, Oh man, I'm saying the word should a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or wow. I really talked out of myself. Uh, there's a, there's a really beautiful poem. Uh, it might not be a poem. It's probably more of like a story. It's an old like Cherokee proverb, I guess. Uh, the two wolves. You familiar with this one? I think so. The one cool. you feed. Bingo. Right. So two wolves, dark, evil, bad, uh, light, good, etc. Right. And the wolf that wins is the one you feed. And ultimately, you know, if you're feeding yourself with, think about it as nutrition, like positive in, feeding yourself with good, clean, unprocessed foods, and you're eating enough, and it's clean and it's good, then that's Probably, you know, soft talking knowledge going to work better than eating McDonald's every day. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Garbage in, garbage out. Clean in, clean out, right? Look at this one. Uh, you ever hear use it or lose it? How about use it, use it and keep it? Yeah. It's just a slight shift, yeah. I like that a lot better, man. For sure. You know, I don't want to lose my shit. I want to keep it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to keep my stuff. You know, I want to I I get it even better, right? Well, cool, man. This was really fun. I think it's a good place to kind of wrap it up. Um, you got any races coming up? What have you been up to? I took July off. Uh, this has been the business year, you know, and, and this nice. is one of yeah, which is super rad, you know, because and this is a you know a, a opportunity for me to like acknowledge that I have celebrated those wins and I have stepped into the the role of a better business owner at the very least uh, and taken less of an emphasis on racing for this year. So uh, I am going to run West Virginia, but I think for the first time in six or seven years, I'm going to run the open division with a couple buddies and just have a ball. So, you know, like try things a couple of times, play some music while I'm going through, you know, make sure we all finish together as opposed to, you know, sitting and waiting at the finish line for each other. And uh, we're going to camp outside of West Virginia and, and kind of, hang out for a weekend so it'll be be a good time what about you when are you racing Uh, i'm gonna do west palm deca in a month and then deca fit championships in november have you done a hybrid hybrid race i haven't i I think you'd really like a high rocks so i really like the stadium races so i think Mm -hmm. it was kind of like that in between a little bit uh the stadium races were from the the high rocks to the ocr is kind of the mix of both the high rocks is just straight fitness yeah straight up fitness but it's really really hard like yeah. like where deca and the stadiums are pretty similar where it's just like pretty high octane you can get through everything there's parts in high rocks where you might not get through it if you're not ready yeah it's like a real grind it's a grind yeah and i, I think you'd like it i, and, I do like long-term grinds yeah. somehow it's, that's a story i'm running <laughs> so where can people find you if they want to reach out if they're interested in in learning more about this working with you as a coach where can people find you so you can find me for story work at workyourstories.com, workyourstories.com. Uh, I also have a men's health mastery group where we help executive and professional men master their health in a year without sacrificing work or family time. So that's at chopclubformen.com. And you can find me on the gram and I'm active on Instagram at daverobinson.coach.
cool. So I'll make sure to link to all that in the show notes so people can reach out to you. But yeah, it was great to reconnect. It was fun chatting. This was an awesome conversation. I think, you know, especially in this avenue or this podcast, we talk a lot about the physical. Uh, every now and then we get to touch on uh, this side of things. And I think it is as impactful or more uh, hearing from people like you for for the athletes who are listening to this and want to perform better. So I appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me on. Uh, and hello conversation. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. <laughs> See you, I'll buddy. talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye.